your Bible and go to Acts chapter 6, verse 8, and then turn two pages over, chapter 7, verse 54. Making our way through the book of Acts uh, during these uh, preaching moments and moment, mornings. And this morning we come to the life of Stephen. We saw him last week as uh, a new uh, servant in the church. Uh, seeing him taking care of complaining people uh, in the church. And then this morning, they pick up his life and follow it. And it is a narrative, the only narrative of a martyr you find in all of the Word of God. There are others that you hear of their death, but no narrative like the one that you have here with Stephen. So you've got your Bible. Go to Acts 6. We begin reading in verse 8 where we pick up our text uh, this morning, and we find it. Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians and some from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen. And they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly induced men to say, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. They stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came up to them and dragged them away and brought them before the council and put forward false witnesses who said, this man incessantly speaks against his holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Nazarene, Jesus, will destroy this place and after the customs which Moses handed down and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. And fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. As you go into chapter 7, the high priest asked him, Stephen, is, is this true? Are, are these things so? And Stephen preaches. I've preached on this sermon here before. And he begins to give Jewish history, beginning in verse 2 with Abraham, picks up Joseph in verse 9. You get to verse 20, and he begins to talk about Moses, and he gives Moses the greater portion of his exposition of Old Testament history. Comes down to Joshua and David, Solomon building the temple, and finally winds up at the Nazarene, the Lord Jesus. And when he tells them that they are stiff-necked in verse 51. They're uncircumcised of heart, and their ears are resisting the Holy Ghost. Uh, they became angry. And in verse 54, we pick up the text. Now, when they heard this, when they heard this sermon, they were cut to the quick and began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into the heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. And when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of the young man named Saul. They went on stoning Stephen. And as he called out unto the Lord, he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this 
against them. And having said this, he fell asleep. He died. Uh, That word sleep there is our word for cemetery. Don't call it a graveyard. The cemetery cemetery is, is the place where the saints sleep. At rest, often, that tombstone will say. It's only grave if you go to hell. It's glory if you're ready for heaven. And Stephen, busted and battered and bloodied, died. And when he stepped into glory, no doubt he received the crown of life. Paul Norvell, who was a longtime deacon here, basketball coach at Pensacola State College. Every time we'd ordain deacons, Paul was alive. He always asked about crowns, if they knew about the crowns. And then he would uh, tell us about the crowns. Always give us that mini sermon. One of those is the crown of life found in James chapter 1 and verse number 12. The crown of life is given to the one who perseveres under trial. If you persevere under trial, you receive the crown of life. When Stephen was born, his mother named him and his father Stephanos, and the word Stephen means the crown. He was no doubt crowned because he persevered through the difficulty. This morning, I want to show you the sevenfold fullness of Stephen, but just talk about one because we'd be here all day and night if I dealt with all of these. But my heart is filled with number seven. But I want to give you what leads up to that just quickly. Uh, these sevenfold fullness of Stephen. There's seven fullnesses, if you will, in Stephen's life that you find. Let me just give them to you. See them up on the screen. Stephen was first full of faith in chapter 6 and verse number 5. That word means conviction, his reliance on God. He was filled with faith. In chapter uh, chapter 6 and verse 5, he was full of the Holy Spirit. That is said three different times. That he's filled with the Spirit is the word pneuma. It is the breath of God. He is not void of God. He's filled with the Spirit of God. Uh, In chapter 6 and verse 8, the Bible says he is filled and full of grace. It is the word charis, where our charis house gets its name. It is favor. It is gratitude. It is the favor of God we do not deserve. In chapter 6 and verse number 8, he was also full of power. The Bible says that is our word dunamis. We get our word uh, dynamite from that means strength or force or capability that God gives us. He was full of wisdom. In chapter 6 and verse number 10 is our word sophia, uh, where it means the skill of life affairs to have sound judgment. He was not only full of faith and full of the Spirit and full of grace and full of power and full of wisdom. He was full of glory. In chapter 6 and verse 15, the Bible says that they looked at him. He had the face like an angel. Remember when Moses came down off the mountain of the Ten Commandments? There was this glow of glory about him. That Stephen. When Jesus was transfigured in Matthew 17 upon the Mount of Transfiguration, the glory on the inside got on the outside, and Stephen had the touch of God's glory splashed on his face, the face like an angel. I've seen many people with face like a demon. I've never seen anybody with face like an angel. Some of them I've preached to. Oh, the glory of God. 
But that that I want you to see this morning is number seven. Not only is he full of faith and spirit and grace and power and wisdom and glory, but he was full of forgiveness. Verse number 60, verse 59, he cried out, he's about to die, and he said, Lord Jesus, Lord, receive my spirit, I'm, I'm coming home. But just before he died, and he's on his knees, verse 60 says he prayed this prayer, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. We've heard that before, haven't we? At Calvary, when Jesus was stretched out, Lord, I commend my soul and spirit into your hand. Lord, I... Pray that this will not be held against these people. Stephen's praying like Jesus. The power of forgiveness. Now you're not going to like what I got to say this morning. That early crowd didn't like it either. You're not going to like it. I'm here to tell you, I don't even like what I got to say this morning. Forgiveness. Radical, biblical forgiveness. Lord, do not hold this sin against him. Nelson Mandela in South Africa, where this group's flying to. He was 27 years in prison, 18 the first stretch, and then in and out and in and out. 27 years total. Mandela was asked how he was not bitter after they took 27 years of his life. And Mandela said these words, if you hate, you will give them your mind and your heart and you dare not give those two things away. Never give your mind and your heart away to somebody else. And when you hate, you give away your mind and your heart. Hear me today. Biblical forgiveness is radical. It is absolutely radical. We find it in Stephen's life. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. So I want to talk to you about forgiveness this morning. This power in, how did Stephen, well, if you got to have those first six before you get seven. But here's the principle of forgiveness. Let me just give you four applications. Number one, Forgiveness is letting the offender off the hook. The word forgive in Matthew 6, 12. You you read that prayer that Jesus prayed. We call it the what? The Lord's Prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Lord, forgive us our debts. Amen. Hallelujah. Lord, forgive our trespasses as... (laughs) We've forgiven our debtors. Lord, yes, he means, he really does mean that. But if you think that's tough, wait till he gets to the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And then the next two verses say in verses 14, 15 of Matthew 6, for if you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive, your Father will not forgive your transgressions. My Lord, that word forgive 
is the word that means to omit or put away or send it forth like something that you'd get rid of that. There's a fly in the house. Send it away. When you're offended and bless the Lord, everybody in here has been offended. You've been hurt, done wrong somewhere along the way somehow, and you've had to deal with this. You've got to let the offender off the hook. Now, hear me. Forgiveness is not approval of what they've done. It is not excusing what they've done, nor is it denying that they did it. And it's not pretending that it did not happen. It is not saying, I will open my life and trust them with my heart again. No. It is letting them off the hook. Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Lord, don't hold this to their account. You got a bank account, you you better hold on to that. But this account needs to stay empty. You need to empty this account. Lord, don't, don't. Hmm. Forgiveness is letting the offender off the hook. Secondly, forgiveness keeps no record. Hmm. Isaiah, thir- I mean, 1 Corinthians 13 and, and verse 5. It's that great forgiveness or love passage in 1 Corinthians 13 where, where the Bible says that we don't act unbecomingly. Love does not seek its own. It's not provoked and it does not take into an account a wrong suffered. You, you don't keep a record. When you've forgiven, you blot it out. Some people say, well, that's to forgive and forget. Let me tell you, you don't forget. You may choose to forget, but you don't forget because every time you see them, you know that it was there. But it's only forgiveness if you let them off the hook. Mm. I told you, you weren't going to like this. I don't like it. I am a get it done, get even kind of guy. But radical forgiveness changes your soul. Forgiveness is letting the offender off the hook. Forgiveness keeps no record. Thirdly, forgiveness is the absence of bitterness. Oh, my Lord. Ephesians 4, verse 30. Paul said, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed to the day of redemption and let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted. What's that word? Forgiving. There it is. It's the same word that means let you off the hook. Forgiving each other. How much just as God in Christ has forgiven you? The same way Jesus at the cross, the same thing Jesus did for you. You forgive others like that. My God, how radical. You mean, yes, that's what he means. You mean I've just turned my head? Yes. Does it mean you trust them? No, I, I mean, God didn't mean like that. I don't open my heart. I don't trust them. I don't give them. They steal from me. I'm not going to give them my stuff. But if they did it, I let them off the hook. Now, when they sin, if there's a price to pay from the magistrate, that's not my deal, it's theirs. 
you kill my wife, you go to prison. You remember when the Pope many years ago got shot? That's the most powerful picture. But he's in that prison cell with the guy that tried to kill him, and he knelt down and said, I forgive you, my Lord. Mm. You let him off the hook, keeps no record. Bitterness grieves the Holy Ghost. You, you run the Spirit of God out of your life. You'll just stay mad all the time. You're just bitter and sour. You must forgive as Jesus forgave you. But now, if you think those three are hard, you, you haven't seen anything yet. Well, wait, do you see number four? Th this is brutal. You cannot do this. You're not capable. I'm not capable. Only Jesus in us is capable of this. That's why you must die to self and let Jesus be the life in you. We were doing this little chorus a while ago about my life is Jesus. That's it. It's Christ in us. Only he gives the power to do that. Number four, forgiveness. Praise the offender is blessed. <laughs> Mm-mm. You, you mean he did that? Now, I got not only forgive him, I got to pray for God to bless him. Only if you want to be like Jesus. Matthew 5, verse 44. What a verse. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You say, preacher, I'll pray for it. I pray God kill him. I pray, Lord, he get cancer. I pray, Lord, he lose it. That's not the way you pray. <laughs> You pray for the favor of God to be on them. You pray for the blessing of God. For that one that has offended you, praying the blessing of God. For that one who has betrayed you and your trust. That spouse who's been unfaithful. Tore your heart out. You pray the blessing of God. Those who have hurt your children. You pray the blessing of God on them. You can't, you're not capable. Only Jesus in you is capable. But that's what he calls us to. That person that ruined my life. I was well on the way and they, hmm. Lord, bless them. This is what Stephen does. I mean, there he is. He's just a preacher of the gospel. He's just a deacon, a preacher preaching the glories of God and they grab him and, and they run him out of town and they take him to a cliff and if you read the Talmud when they would stone people the cliff would be 10 feet or more high and they would throw them off that cliff and then they had huge stones and they would roll those boulders and if that didn't kill them then they began to take up stones and and the Bible says they'd take off their coats, and they did. They took their robes off, and the Bible tells us that they laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. Shoo, shoo, splattered, bust, boom, bleed, die. And Saul is standing 
with the robes at his feet. He watches him. And then he hears him. Father, don't lay this to their account. Friend, if Stephen didn't pray, Paul would have never preached. Stephen did pray, and bless God, Saul did preach. But the Bible says in chapter 8, if you read it, you go into the next chapter, after Stephen dies, Saul began to ravage the church. He went in and took men and women out of their homes and jailed them and killed some. He was a godless man until chapter 9, and he was arrested, not put in prison. God arrested him. The glory of God fell on the Damascus Road. And I can't prove it, but I'm telling you, Scripture doesn't put stuff in the Bible just for no reason. He saw those robes. He heard that voice. And God raised him up. And one day, Paul died. And when Paul went into glory, there were people waiting that he had killed himself. And they said, welcome home, my brother. Friend, that is radical forgiveness. You say, sure. Oh, yes, they did. And when the radicality of forgiveness embraces our heart, oh, my Lord, God begins to deal. There's one other thing. When, when he was preaching, he, he gave a lot of time to Moses but before that, he talked about, you remember Joseph? He talked about Joseph back up in verse 9 of chapter 7. You, you remember Joseph? He's the baby. What did his brothers do? They sold him into slavery, remember? And, and he wound up down at the house, and a woman accused him of sexual abuse. And he got thrown into prison. And while he was in there, he met the banker and the butler and the candlestick maker. You remember? All those people. <laughs> Didn't meet the banker. I'm just messing with him. But, but the baker and the butler. And, and he interpreted the dreams and he wound up being in charge of half the kingdom. And, and then he had a vision about the seven years of fat and seven years of lean. And, and he got them ready. And, and then these guys came. And and they were starving, and he knew them because they were his, his brothers. Now, if I had been Joseph, <laughs> gallows right now. Joseph sent everybody out and he forgave them. Now he was a little bit Baptist because <laughs> he stuck some stuff in a sack but he wanted to get daddy back. 
And so he kept that baby brother and said, go get your daddy. And boy, don't you know those guys were worried. Oh, my Lord, what's he going to do to us? This guy is like the vice president. He's in charge of half the kingdom. And they go down and get him. And, and, and they bring daddy back. What's his name? Jacob. Jacob, thank you. He's got the 12 tribes. And Joseph fell on his daddy's neck. Now, I want you to notice something. You read your Bible. Go, go see if you can find it. I'm telling you, it's not in there. Joseph never tells Jacob what those scoundrels did. The principle is this. When someone has offended you, if you've forgiven them, you not just pray the blessings of God on them, you keep your mouth shut about what they did. If God wants it revealed, he used somebody else's tongue. An open heart means a cut-out tongue. You say, but I want to tell it. Well, that's because you've not forgiven. Forgiveness not only asks for the blessings of God, you leave judgment to the Lord. And let me tell you, he can do more in a moment with judgment than you could ever do in a lifetime. If it needs to be evened up, God will take care of that. I told you you didn't like it. I don't like this sermon. I've argued with God for a week. I want to recommend a book to you that I've had all the staff read. Several weeks ago, I heard Dr. R.T. Kendall preach. I couldn't wait to get to this message, really. R.T. Kendall's written a book entitled Total Forgiveness. He's written 86 books, or 85 books. He's 86 years old powerful preacher. He's a Baptist, Southern Baptist guy, one of our brothers. He was 25 years the pastor of the great Westminster Chapel in London. Steve, we went there. We've been to Westminster. He followed Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was there 25 years, who followed G. Campbell Morgan. This old boy from Kentucky wound up at Oxford and became the pastor, and he he had some deacons rise up at Westminster and give him a hard time, and they, they didn't fire him, but it was really tough. He said he was complaining to a friend of his, another preacher one day. Matter of fact, it was a guy from Romania. He said, these guys did all this to me, and here's what they, he said, R.T., you must totally forgive them. Until you totally forgive them, you will be in chains. Release them, and you will be released. And here came the book. Months later, he said, it's one thing to forgive. It's another thing to totally forgive. I call it biblical forgiveness. It is radical. Not only do you let them off the hook, you pray the blessings of God on them, and then you get quiet, and if God wants to bring it up, He'll bring it up. In the front of his book, he says, when everything in you wants to hold a grudge and point a finger, remember the pain 
God wants you to lay it all down. He has one line in that book that says, you don't have to take any course in high school or college to learn to point a finger. We just naturally learn to point a finger. Forgiveness. Letting them off the hook. You ever had to do it? Well, sure. Because everybody in here has been hurt. But there's one more thing. And then I'm done. The day that Saul stood and the robes of the guys whizzing the stones, there was another robe that was there. You couldn't see it. It was... It was... Uh, invisible it was the mantle of Stephen's anointing that laid at the feet of Saul and two chapters later when God saved him Paul put on the mantle of Stephen's anointing we wouldn't have this book if it were not for that. I'm telling you, had Stephen not prayed, Saul would have never preached. But he did pray. And what you're going through, if you handle it the way God wants you to handle it one of these days, it's going to come a salt behind you. I got ready to pray a while ago with the offer. I couldn't help it. I had this message in my mind and I heard my phone ding and I just detest looking at that thing during church. But it was in my hip pocket and zzz, zzz. I thought, well, you know, I, you never know. My daughter's not here today and she had to be gone and she's the watch care if something happens to my mother. And so I pulled it out. In the first service, I had Dr. Passmore come pray at the offering, and, and I stood right here. And when he got ready to pray, he said, Pastor, he said, please come stand here beside me. And so I stepped down, and he reached over and took my hand, and we held hands while he prayed. He got a grip like a bear. I mean, I, I'm not sure this finger will work. <laughs> he grabbed me and he prayed and he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. And when I looked at my phone, there was a preacher sitting right there where you guys are. Retired pastor. Been through hell. It's my dear friend. And he backslid and pulled out his phone during prayer. But he made my picture standing here with Jerry. And we're holding hands and the old prophet's praying. I'm telling you, Brother Jerry didn't pray. I couldn't pray. 
somebody hadn't prayed before him, Jerry never would have preached. And if I don't pray, somebody come behind me on that bridge. That man laid down his life. He loved me. I sent back to that prayer. I told him, I said, I was, while he was praying that I was holding, I was praying, oh God, let somebody take a picture of this. I'll treasure that day I die. He's 88 in a few days. I want everybody encourages me more than he does. But now he doesn't go much. But he prays. And let me tell you, prayers go farther than preaching. And somebody way back down the line prayed so we could preach, prayed so we could, and somebody's praying so I can preach. And bless God, if you'll get right with God, and get rid of your bitterness and forgive whoever it is. Let them off the hook. You may have the face of an angel where the glory of God comes. Now this is, I, I've argued with the Lord. I don't even know how to do it. But this is what I'm going to do. We're going to have an invitation out there today. But before we go out there, I'm asking nobody to leave. Nobody. Unless they call in your mama, dad, I'm asking you to stay right here. <laughs> I want you to sit for 90 seconds in silence. And I want you to ask God, is there anyone that I need to forgive? Now listen, you, you don't... Don't, don't forgive and then run tell them I forgive you because 99 out of 100 people that you go tell I forgive you, they're going to say, for what? <laughs> it's not so they know, it's that you release them, leave that to the Lord. And if you've done something, you've got to have reconciliation. Hey, well, you deal with that. But if it's just releasing, you just tell the Lord. I'm going to go stand out there in the foyer in the silence. And after 90 seconds, Brother John or somebody, he, he, he had to slip out today. We'll just say amen. And when you hear that amen, and you'll be free to go. And if you've never trusted Jesus today, I'm telling you, Jesus will forgive your sin. Come talk to me, and I will introduce you to know the Lord. If you're here and never joined the church, we had 30 editions last week. What a great day it was. One lady came to me and she said, Pastor, I joined in my heart last week. I'm joining with my feet this week. I said, amen, I like that. Maybe you've joined in your heart before, but you never joined with your feet. Come see me out there. Go to one of the next step tables. We'll, we'll do business out there today. Or maybe after the service, you just need to come kneel here and lay that burden down. We're not going to sing. We're not going to have music. We're just going to be still and know the Lord. I want you to take 90 seconds, and I'm telling you, if there's somebody you need to deal with, God will tell you in the first five seconds. You already know it right now. You just lay that down. Let them off the hook. Tell the Father you're not capable, but He is, and He'll give you power to forgive. I stood up there at the first service. And Guy came by, he said, that's just for me. 
about 10 seconds later, a lady came by and said, that's just for me. I said, Lord, you must be shooting with a double barrel today. That's just for them. <laughs> hey, this is just for all of us. This is for me. Lord, do not lay this to their account. If it's there, just give it to Jesus. If you've got a decision to make, openly come see me. Let's just be quiet before the Lord.